successful media and public affairs consultant, accomplished entrepreneur and national writer and contributor, attorney who served in the Missouri House of Representatives, worked in the White House and CNN, thought leader, entrepreneur, and host who takes the conversation to the next level. Prepare to get rare access to fascinating guests. You're connected. You have the it factor. You've joined Grill Nation. Connect with Jason on Twitter at Jason Grill. Connect with the show on Twitter at Grill Nation Show and online at GrillNationShow.com. Welcome your host of Grill Nation. Always dressed up and ready to go even in a radio studio. Here's Jason Grill. Hello and welcome to the Grill Nation Show. I'm your host, Jason Grill. Thanks for listening today on 980 AM or if you're joining me on iTunes via podcast. Uh, in Kansas City or across the country, we greatly appreciate it today. Also, you can connect with us on thegrillnationshow.com online and also on social media at Jason Grill and at Grill Nation Show. Just search for both on all avenues. Before we get started with our show today, which will be a fascinating look at big data and data science with two uh, great thought leaders in the industry and, and startup entrepreneurs, as well as folks that have really good corporate experience in the technology space. Going to bring them on here in just a second. Excited to talk to them. I want to thank our partners and supporters of the Grill Nation show with Jason Grill. Title sponsors of the show are BOK Financial and Two West Companies and Ryan Rink. Contributors to the Grill Nation show include the Kansas City Area Development Council. Thank you to Tim Cowden. And Port KC, uh, thanks to John Stevens. Appreciate all of our partners and supporters. You can find them at grillnationshow.com. Um, hope everyone's doing well. Excited about today's show. We are talking about big data with Steve Stava and Jared Eiler from Twisted Pair Labs. Their website is twistedpairlabs.com. Uh, big data and data, data science is all the rage in today's business, but companies repeatedly are making many mistakes around it, and we're going to get into those and also talk about entrepreneurship and what these two great folks do here in studio. Welcome, Steve and Jared, to the Grill Nation show. How are you guys today? Doing good. Doing good. Thanks for having us on. It's great to have you guys. Uh, Jared and I met um, when I was more heavily involved, I guess, with the startup space uh, about six years ago. Yep, correct. It's been a while. Um, And and Steve, I believe I met you when you were at uh, DST or at one of the entrepreneurial events here in Kansas City along the way. Yeah. So I want to to start today's show. We're going to get really deep into a lot of these topics. Um, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, we're going to boil it down to the to the brass tacks, to simple stuff, and then we're going to kind of dive deeper uh, in how this affects businesses and people as a whole. Um, Steve, why don't you start us off? Tell us about your background. I know you have a lot of experience in technology. Yeah, I end up with about 30 years now, which is starting to make me feel a little bit older than I want to be. But So you were back in the day when, uh, in the day, when Apple, the uh, <laughs> Oregon Trail was uh, all they had on the old computers. <laughs> that's, right. that's exactly it. Now, I started at uh, DST back in 1989, so started as a programmer and grew up there in that capacity over a lot of years. Uh, spent time in some of their divisions that worked in mutual funds, banking, insurance, uh, creating process flows, image-enabled workflows, everything that seemed pretty cool back then, which is pretty cookie cutter and almost uh, free these days to get mm-hmm. a hold of. Pretty big company too, right? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, between ten and 12,000, depending on the year you look at it. So they've been a big part of Kansas City for a long time. And you were there for how long? Uh, 23 years from 89 to 2012. 
Okay. So, so what 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 uh what happened next? And you got you got the startup itch. Huh? Well, yeah, I always had the bug to have my own business, and I guess you get a little comfy in the corporate world because you feel like you get to start some new new products, new divisions in a corporate setting. You start feeling pretty good about that. What you realize when you step out into the startup world, which is what I did at the end of 2012, yeah. is you have no budget, you have no support staff, you have no one to turn to, you have to build everything from scratch, and that really gave me a different picture of what startup was. It was still a ball and love it, uh, which is why Jared and I are both in the smaller business space now as opposed to back in corporate, Mm -hmm. but uh, learned a lot on the company dime back then, which was very helpful. Uh, We see a lot of startups now who are learning on their own, and that's kind of like where where we want to step in and help them Mm -hmm. uh, in some of the efforts that we do, but I did a startup back in 2012 to about 2016. Yeah, you did. Um, What was that? So it was called Creelio, mm-hmm. as in C-R-E-E-L, a creel, which mm-hmm. catches fish. There's a long story behind that that wouldn't interest most people. <laughs> the but- names are always important with these startups, aren't they? <laughs> that, you know, you spend all your time coming up with a name where you can actually buy the domain for it. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah, really right. what drives everything. I love it. But yeah, that one was to help professionals like uh, lawyers, financial advisors have a personal um, personal story online through blogging, LinkedIn, Twitter, and social media. Mm. And uh, Jared actually was involved with that as well as CTO. So we spent time building out a platform that applied automatic strategies to what was custom written content for those people. Mm, interesting. And then uh, we'll get to the next step here because I know it was Twisted Pair Labs after that. But Jared, give us give us your background. I know you have uh, a lot of time, 20 years almost as a software architect and developer and also uh, did some work at DST. That's correct. 20 years, as you said, uh, software architecture and development. Uh, spent my first 10 years at DST Systems after that. Uh, decided I wanted to go and, and try the entrepreneurial side of my personality out. And what, what kind of uh, made that happen for you? What was the what what was that decision made? Because people always, you know, uh, we were talking about the corporate world. What what actually pushes you to do that? Because I know if you have a family or or children sometimes, or a a wife in your guys, you know, a marriage in your guys's cases sometimes, it's tough to leave a, a full time paycheck to and the stability of health insurance or whatever you name it. To, to, to take the leap. Um, yeah, well, it was it was definitely a progression for me. Um, uh, it was kind of funny because uh, DST paid for my MBA. I took entrepreneurship classes. Nice. All of a sudden, I realized I I desperately wanted to to get out of the corporate world because of my experience with those entrepreneurial classes. And then uh, from there, I kind of put my toe in the water with a little bit of contracting, and then got my first job uh, with a startup. And absolutely loved the culture, loved the experience of uh, working for a small company with a smaller team. And from there, just sort of worked my way through seeking out what I felt like was the most exciting experience or opportunity I could find, which in Kansas City, there's quite a bit. Is there? Is it? you think, it, are we doing well right now as well, a city? My, I think we're doing really well right now. And I think there's a lot of emphasis on that, on um, how important entrepreneurship is. And so I think it's also building um, when I, when I started into my entrepreneurial experience, I was, it was with uh Popstar networks, which was a really cool company, probably the coolest tech I got to work with right out of the gate. It was uh digital signage and, and building that kind of software that would dispense all this content onto a zillion screens at movie theaters and, you know, selling Coke ads and stuff like That's that. That's interesting. It was really fun. And it was, uh, it was a distributed, you know, sort of system, which made it even more fun. 
And As a former politician, I always thought uh, it would have been cool to have an ad at a movie uh, back on the screen before the movie started when they were just like doing the this you know like the plain pictures, and now it's totally changed and it's. As you, I mean, as you witnessed, I mean, it's a whole, yeah, it's I went, all organized now. I went it's not to, like when I was a kid where you'd see an ad on the screen, you know? I went to work every day and, and I walk in and the room is full of hamburger ads. I mean, it's, <laughs> it was a rough place to stay on a diet because you walk in and it's like cheeseburgers and sodas and yeah. all this stuff on these really beautiful screens. So, 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 um, so you guys, and I want to quickly mention too about Jared. He was the, uh, he was a, a tennis star in college. Tennis people star. People get to know you. I love that. I know you finished first in singles and first in the region and, and second in doubles your nice. senior year at Washburn University. <laughs> no. I've gotta, I gotta, gotta plug that right, <laughs> right before we get into the tough to hard subjects after this break here. Right, right. I haven't picked up a racket in about three years now. So, uh, that, that's all kind of. You uh, should do it, man. It'll come right back. Yeah. Well, I go, well, I go and I hit once in a while just to make sure that I don't completely forget, but very, know, very cool. A- uh, Jared Eiler and Steve Stavar with me today, uh, on the Grill Nation show, Twisted Pair Labs. We are going to get into uh, the big data topic and data science and what you guys do now uh, with the company, TwistedPairLabs.com, after the break. Um, we're going to talk a lot about data and big data and data science here on the Grill Nation show today. You're listening to 980 AM, and we'll be right back. I've been trying to do it right. I've been living a lonely life. I threw a wish in the well. Welcome back to the Grill Nation Show, 980 AM, and on iTunes, if you're listening via podcast, please rate and review our show. I appreciate all those folks that give us five stars. It's very helpful, and uh, our guests appreciate it as well, because more people see their shows, and they listen to them. So thank you very much. Steve Sava from Twisted Pair Labs is joining me, along with Jared Eiler. Uh, both of them have uh, had quite an entrepreneurial and uh, corporate background, and we're talking today about... Big data. We left off kind of with your all's backgrounds here, uh, and the website is twistedpairlabs.com. Let's talk about Twisted Pair Labs uh, and uh, how you guys kind of decided to do that. Um, and that looked like you guys kicked that off, what, in 2015 or 16 or 17? Yeah, it's around 2015. Everything kind of started. goes together in that frame. But 2015, tell us about that, Steve, and, and why you decided to do this with all the other stuff you had going on. Yeah, yeah, a lot of it started with just kind of our background. Jared and I both obviously strong technology background, but we also enjoyed kind of the interaction with people, which, you know, maybe makes us odd for technology folks stereotypically. But we enjoyed <laughs> uh, engaging with folks in their business and better understanding how technology could be used strategically to advance what they were trying to do. And for us, after we came out of Creelio as a startup, um, we thought we'd get back to the core of what we were really familiar with, and that is a services or consulting-based business where we had the chance to engage with people in their business. We tend to follow more of a boutique model with what we do. We're not looking to be heavy staff augmentation or anything. We want to personally get engaged and actually learn about what makes a certain business run the way it does mm-hmm. and see if we can't find some technology that would help them become more efficient, be able to scale. Mm-hmm. Tell me some of, about some of your service offerings at the at the company um because i know you guys touch on a lot of different ways that you can help people with technology 
So I'll, I'll kind of give you a quick history because we started just very open. We do software development and product strategy. Okay. And we entered into the market that way, and we're kind of trying to find the niche that would make us uh, a little bit more focused on what we did. And so originally, I mean, we actually met a number of startup companies that we engaged with early on that were looking to use technology to scale their business. And so we would do product strategy with them where we'd apply some of the knowledge we gained doing our startups mm -hmm. and helping them think about their market, help them focus in on a niche that made sense that they could tackle mm -hmm. instead of trying to jump right into being Facebook. Um, start small, um, focus on what you can solve in the near term. And then we'd identify web products, mobile products um, that help them become more efficient. And oddly enough, a lot of those products end up being process-oriented. Mm. And it's how does your back office become more efficient? You guys have worked with startups and Fortune 500 companies, correct? Yes. That's cool. Jared, I mean, so you guys work with people locally and nationally? and Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's, it's different verticals, I assume. Different verticals. I mean, working with both of those allows us to take the things you learn with the corporation around process and how to scale take those to startups and working with startups does the same for corporations or does the kind of the inverse for corporations, learning how to be agile, how to innovate, bringing that knowledge back into the corporate world. So it's a uh, uh, getting to cross those two lines in our careers and, and with uh, twisted pair has been. Do you notice a lot of differences between the two when you, when you first sit down with them? Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Tell, tell me about some of those because well, startups, you know, everyone thinks maybe they don't know what they're doing, but some of them do. And then corporate people have a lot of uh, red tape, right? Startups, so you, you end might up want with, to do some crazy tech stuff, and then the corporate people are like, nope, listen, can't do it. Corporations tr struggle to innovate. They have so much uh, in place, you know, legacy stuff. A lot of times it's, it's hard for them to innovate. And so um, they – and they're used to having a lot of uh, support underneath them, you know. So they've got you know, jobs and healthcare and all that kind of stuff sitting there mm -hmm. uh, so that they, they have a lot of support, whereas startups are usually trying to boil the ocean, right? They're always trying to do a little more than they probably – can mm -hmm. and so what we tend to do is try to help them focus and then um they're, they're also bootstrapping everything so one is trying to do things with no money but probably do too much and too too broad of a focus and the other one is struggling to innovate and you guys have to find a way to run your business too with startups and uh and make sure your time is valuable and uh and, and get paid right i mean sometimes that's an issue too with startups but very interesting stuff i want to touch on now i want to get into the big topic of the show which is which is big data and data science is is, being, is kind of becoming the rage um companies are making a lot of mistakes around it first off steve just explain what big data and data science is first and then i want to get into some some of the mistakes that are being made and how you guys are finding solutions yeah i guess a, a simple way to look at the the big data environment is uh with everything going online mobile apps, websites, even phone calls into call centers. Uh, what people have realized over the last decade or so is that there's a lot of good information hidden inside of all that data. Okay. And until, I guess, the onset of moving what might have been rooted in economics and mathematics of economics, um, where you might get a PhD level, people realize they could pull some of that information into click-related items on e-commerce, purchase choices, and then tie that into demographic information about who you are and why you buy something and try to then focus the sales approach. So a lot of this oh, you yeah. see growing from what is a sales-oriented um, perspective, uh -huh. and then it's kind of gone from there, and now it's into all decisioning of a corporation if you can pull 
pull that off, which is if I know in a financial services organization the type of financial product somebody is going to buy, then I can target our distribution market, be it a financial advisor or an insurance broker, to that type of person in a certain neighborhood. So now I increase my opportunity for sale. So it all obviously ties back to revenue, but it's how do I use the data that I'm getting off my um, software today to better make a decision tomorrow? And there's mm-hmm. a lot of fun math sitting behind all that. Really is interesting. I mean, I, I you know, I took a photo uh, the other day and uh, of a product somebody was wearing, and it, and I, w- I would never buy this. And then the next thing you know on Instagram, I have an ad for that product, yeah. and I'm just like, right. how the creepy. heck did that happen? Engine it's on my phone. I mean, right. I don't know how that happened. I didn't post it anywhere, but it's just crazy how that works companies are finding a lot of that uh that there's a lot more value to the data that they have even companies that you would expect to be already very data savvy um just anecdotally i I had the opportunity to sit down with a a chief data scientist for unnamed company here in kc and uh through within a couple of years of uh, sort of a data science focus this individual and his team found more than a billion with a b dollars in and this probably give away but tax returns Okay. So the ability to take data that they already had, use that data with some data science magic, right, to find uh, that that there were all of these customers that had tax returns that just simply hadn't been fully optimized in certain scenarios and found a, more than a billion dollars. And they've 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 had many many advertisements uh, claiming as such. So I'm not giving anything away here. But, <laughs> no, uh, you're not. A billion with a B, and that's where you look at data science, and it's suddenly. Wow, there's value there. So you guys, on that note, data science. Um, obviously, it's it's becoming a big deal, but there's a lot of mistakes that are being made by companies. Um, break into that a little bit because um, more companies are looking to hire uh, data scientists. Um, what's going on with that, and, and why why are they making some mistakes around that? Yeah, and you know, in our opinion, what that looks like is um, the first hire tends to be that magical data scientist who might have a PhD in statistics or in some computer science and statistics, and they bring them in so that they can hand them tons of data and then find that miraculous B with a billion or billion with a B, let's go that route, (laughs) and to find that magic in their organization. But what they quickly realize is the specialty of that data scientist is in the math and looking at the data. The key is you have to get them the data first, and you have to get them high-quality data from your website and from your transaction engine and from maybe the phones where people are taking pictures of products, and you have to get that to them in a fashion that they can use it for their mathematical models. And so you see a lot of data scientists start in a corporate setting where they might spend their first six months, two or three years even, um, formulating all the data off of all these complex systems that have been around for decades just so they can really start adding the value you hired them for. Oh, wow. And then how, and how do you, uh, how do you, I mean, gosh, I can't even imagine pricing some of these people out like a data scientist. I mean, yeah, the market, I mean. It, it can be very expensive it, for certain. I mean, yeah. especially if you're getting somebody who's got a PhD and who's, you know, pretty well experienced or maybe has done this for years. Yeah. So imagine making that investment in a X hundred thousand dollar a year uh, data scientist and then not having the support underneath them that they need in order to be really efficient. It's the most expensive way to have a, a data you know, data science approach is to just hire the data scientists and not support them with the infrastructure, the tools, the you know that you would for just software development, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And big data engineering, huh? That's the, that's and that's the key the phrase. The thing about big data is people used to think of and may still think of big data as a big database, and it's just simply not. It's you know, big data is much more about data from all over 
all of the different edges of your organization. It can be from, you know, the IoT is one of the really popular places where data is coming in. Um, and being able to handle data from all of these surround things that surround your business, your website, your online transaction system, you know, the, the security system at your own company. I mean, just it can come from all over the place. And so finding a way to put that in a place without having to, you know, spend a huge amount of time doing what's called normalizing or turning that into one big database is part of the art of data science. And so, or, or I guess data science engineering. And so being able to support that is very complicated and it's none of that stuff really fits into the, the purview of a data scientist. So bridging the gap is really the this challenge. This is so interesting because I'm trying to how, – how many companies are out there in Kansas City that are really thinking about this? I mean this type of stuff. Is it – to me it seems like it would be low, but it's probably a lot higher than I think. No, it's, yeah, I'd it's say high. it's a pretty high number because okay, you actually you have a lot of support organizations helping those bigger companies yeah. deliver on that science aspect of it as well. They're all thinking about big data. It's just are they thinking about it in a way that's going to – you know, are they going to have to go through the two or three years learning curve of – Hiring the data scientists, bringing them in, seeing them struggle, figuring out that there needs to be some infrastructure in place to support them, and then bringing on bringing on that knowledge. Are they going to learn the hard way? I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have other issues like governance is a huge part of this. You know, when you have this massive amount of data, um, your liability around that data goes up dramatically, right? So it's not just your your online database; it's you're pulling in data about somebody or your most likely your customer from all edges and so how do you protect that data how do you when you want to give it to your data scientists so that they have the ability to you know leverage it and maybe even mix in other data from other sources how do you do that in a way that is governed controlled you know so you don't open yourself to liability we're going to get more into that and we're going to talk about uh some of the ways more problems can be solved with big data i'm with uh, jared eiler and steve Staba. you're listening to the grill nation show you know i'm not one I don't want to hurt you, but I need to breathe. Hey, baby, won't you look my way? I can be your new addiction. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show. I'm your host, Jason Grill, 980 AM. And if you're listening on podcasts on iTunes, we greatly appreciate it. You connect with us on grillnationshow.com. I will uh, post this show. I will also post photos of our guests as well as more information on the website. So always check us out there. And thank you for listening again today. We're talking to Steve Stava and Jared Eiler from Twisted Pair Labs. Uh, their website is twistedpairlabs.com. Two, uh, startup entrepreneurial and corporate, uh, consulting, you know, uh, thought leaders in their industry, both locally in Kansas City and throughout the country. Fascinating discussion about big data and data science. And I want to continue that, guys. Um, you guys have talked a lot about why companies are making mistakes with hiring data scientists without having big data engineering in place to support them. And your company focuses on helping, your company focuses on helping these types of folks, companies, both from startups to Fortune 500s. Uh, implement data platforms and practices that support big data. Um, let's talk about how you, you support them. I know there's four or five different ways that you can do that, one of which is movement. What, what does that mean? And, and let's break into that. Yeah, so data movement is just pretty straightforward. Uh, all the data starts somewhere. It might be on your e-commerce site. It might be on a phone. And how do you get that off of the device or off of the website and into a common shared area, let's say, in your corporate environment or in the cloud with AWS or Azure or whatever you might use so that it can be made accessible okay. to the data scientist? 
And I guess the key to the movement is you need to bring it in and make sure not only that you get it there, but it's of quality. There aren't missing data pieces to it. Like if it's missing phone numbers or names, you have to make sure it's a nice, clean, usable data set. So somebody then can apply some logic on top of that. And that ends up being, if you look at the industry um, rags on how that works, they say 80% of your effort, not necessarily of your mind share of effort, but of time, is just getting the data into a usable format before you can do something with it. Mm. Yeah, and from talking, from talking to uh, uh, clients, uh, specifically data scientists, his, uh, one in particular, his biggest problem was the time it took before, where he says, I have a data set I'd like to pull in, um, and maybe it's a feed or a stream of data. And the time that it took for um, the, the development group to support that, and the reason is the approach. You know, they're they're treating it like a traditional software development effort, where they, you know, they fit it into a project and they put in their backlog, and and you know, now it's competing with the core product for getting done. And they're using, um, you know, some of the same software languages that they would instead of tools that are specifically geared towards pulling that in. And that's really a lot of what we're wor- working on is implementing the tools that make that easier, faster, you know, more agile and less uh, less of a slowdown to, to the data science group. Yeah, you're really creating a bottleneck in a traditional technology organization or company because the scientist is looking to go through large scales of data and try to find patterns. But the people that you're dealing with who are going to bring that data in on your behalf, which are typically developers, they have a backlog of work to do. So you may wait three months to spend 10 minutes with a data set that they bring in that you needed to find out it doesn't have value and you need another data set. And then you go back in the queue and you wait another couple of months for them to have the time to do that development. And that's that's where it's key to optimize a platform where the data scientist doesn't have a long wait time to do discovery on data sets. You talked about movement and you just kind of broke into the quality, you talked about quality of, of data and why that's important, obviously. Um, that's one of the ways that you think that you can help um, data scientists. Well, again, the, the, the tools that we're looking at provide a, a more flexible approach to, um, to uh, taking data and, um, you know. And by the way, I've been calling it data. It's, you guys are both calling it data. Maybe that means <laughs> that I'm not a very smart tech person, but I will, I'm now going to refer to it as data. The rest of my life, it's data. I think it's, it's just I think it's just a Kansas thing. <laughs> I don't know. Go ahead on the quality. I apologize on that. But but being able to take uh, data that comes in and you know let's say it's incomplete data is one of the typical uh, problems with with in terms of quality um, enriching that data to make it so that a record that that came in fifty percent complete we can add to that and make it closer to a hundred percent complete or data that's uh, you know maybe that's Missouri in one case and it's Mo in another right so. Mm. It, every one of those little little uh, variations makes it harder to run some sort of a calculation across it, and you can you know you can take that data problem and apply it to all the rest of the data inconsistencies and 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 maybe it's old data maybe it's data that that you know said somebody was divorced or, or married and and since then they've been divorced and so and then the next know. thing you know it's online and you know you had a reputation score <laughs> that's somehow, right somehow you've been <laughs> married I'm like I've never been married but it says I've been married on there who knows yeah. Who knows how that happens? We're going to stay away from the reputation score. I always thought that was interesting. Um, Okay, so quality is important. Governance. You know, uh, man, you're just pulling all this data from uh, big data from people. And, uh, you know, people are getting pretty freaked out about it, right? So governance, I mean, I think that's what you're referring to is governing people's data is kind of important. 
Yeah, and when you look at the governance part, as soon as you get a large pile of data that people are working with, the lawyers and the company get nervous, mm -hmm. as they should, because you've got names and addresses and phone numbers and maybe travel habits and purchasing habits and kids' names and all kinds of information that if you let it out in large scale would make for horrible press and a bad Before reputation Before you know it, you're in, you're in Congress exactly. testifying <laughs> about people's information. Um, hello, Facebook, right? Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> you become a meme in yeah. a, con a congressional <laughs> session. Yeah, this was one of the challenges uh, um, referenced by the Trump campaign with the, the, the data company that still had Facebook data mm -hmm. sitting in their environment two years after the, uh, you know, the election and, and they were supposed to have gotten rid of it. And so now Facebook's, you know, obviously furious and is trying to call Cambridge Analytica and say, why do you still have our data? And, you know, that's part of the data governance plan is making sure you know when it comes in, where it lives. It's so so important, too, if you're a growing company. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's for both sides. If you're a growing company or if you're a corporate entity, like, you know, the yeah. last thing you want is to have a lawsuit on your hands in either case. Well, a lot of what we'll do is just explain in simple terms to the companies we work with. If you look at data as an asset. So in other words, if I look at that equivalent to cash, uh -huh. how many times would you leave cash just laying out at your company for someone to wander around with? Or would I hand you $10,000 and say, figure out what you can do with this, but have no tracking of it. And so that <laughs> governance piece, when you look at data as an asset, if it's going to help me make strategic decisions, that'll increase yeah. my revenue. It's worth something. Mm -hmm. And so what's it look like to treat it like it has value? And that governance is where did it come from? Who's touched it? How long is it valuable for? Did we buy or lease the data? So at some point we have to get rid of it. And that's what usually puts the lawyers at ease more so is when you document that policy and have a pattern you follow for how you manage that data, mm. just like you do with money. And, and, and do companies want to learn those lessons <laughs> by making mistakes or do they want to you know, learn from the mistakes of others? And that's really what we try to offer is here's what we've seen, here's what we've seen done wrong, and here's how you can do it right so you don't go down the path we've seen. And then finally, you, you talk about scalability. Um, tell us about that because obviously people care much about that, especially if they're a startup, but also too as a corporate entity. Yeah, I guess if you look at it from a scalable perspective, the, the data becomes an endless entity because it's all the actions people are taking. So the ability to go from what might be small data sets or ingestion, bringing data into your environment, into being able to run um, large-scale data quality efforts against terabytes or petabytes of data, and how do you make sure that without getting into too much boring tech stuff. How do you make sure you can Man, you do were that just, efficiently? You were flying over my head, Steve, with, with terabytes there. <laughs> you anyway. went to petabytes. You took it to a whole new level. <laughs> so, so the ingestion part, I, I think that's fascinating that you guys refer to it as ingestion. Yeah, uh, well, it's just, a, it's just a term, you know. I love it. I love it. Uh, Taking in stuff, right? Twistedparadlabs.com is your all site, um, and you guys do a lot of work with startups and corp or Fortune 500s throughout the country. Um, let's talk about artificial intelligence a little bit. Uh, tell us about that and, and how you guys interact with that and, and what you see on the horizon for AI. Well, and so I've been spending a fair amount of time based on the data platform approach we've had and the engineering and trying to get an idea of what does the workflow look like for a data scientist in the artificial intelligence world. Mm -hmm. And it, it becomes interesting because you can kind of see like any hype curve on technology where data science is in that realm as well. And I guess you can look at it from the perspective of how much a consultant might be if they're a data scientist doing independent work. It kind of identifies that hype curve. But I've also noticed recently that there's a lot more efforts being put into place to make artificial intelligence processes more reachable by the domain experts. So by that, meaning that if you're a medical practitioner, you don't know artificial intelligence. 
but you know the medical world really well. And it, it ends up being that the medical practitioner through certain libraries and programs and activities now can start applying artificial intelligence with their domain knowledge and doing it independent of a data scientist doing it on their behalf. Mm. And there's a lot of uh, data scientists who are discovering that being able to accurately identify what a um, X-ray might mean through data science is hard because you don't understand the domain of um, reading that uh, X-ray. Mm. And so it's really starting to shift. Uh, it almost feels like it's getting to the top of a hype curve and is moving more into practitioner practice around the people who know an industry and making it possible for them to apply um, that artificial intelligence model to it. Almost like when websites went from hand-coded to Wix and Squarespace and those types of things, trying to make it easier for somebody who understands that market uh, to apply it themselves. That was a genius idea, by the way, not to get on a tangent, having yeah. websites that <laughs> no. people can develop, right, uh, yeah. even though they don't have all the cool features that someone like you guys can develop. But, uh, wow. but it allows for that uh, path of I can do it cheap and early myself, and then as I get past that easier part, I can bring in the data scientists to dig deeper and do the more complex piece. Do we see a lot of uh, data scientists working in-house or as consultants these days? I mean, is it is it is it is it just about the same? Or I'm just curious about that. I'm I'm seeing more uh, attempts to hire. Uh, I mean, you're you're building a you're with data science. You're building a valuable asset for the company, and so they want to bring in not only the 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 person that can do that. They want to have the person, the knowledge, all of that stuff in house. And so, just what I've seen, and this is anecdotal, of course, but is hiring. You know, trying to hire and keep these folks as compared to. But I know you know there's plenty of. Uh, consultancies out there that are data science for hire. So, hmm. you know, very interesting. I want to talk more after the break. Um, you're listening to the Grill Nation show with Jason Grill. We're going to talk about kind of uh, as we finish off the show today, uh, kind of what you guys are looking to do in the future to scale your own business, but also, um, you know, what are some things going on with the talent and and here in Kansas City and, and how uh, you guys are continuing to evolve as a company and maybe what you see on the future on the horizon uh, for big data at uh, big data, excuse me, and uh, data science here on the Grill Nation show on 980 AM. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show. I'm Jason Grill on 980 AM and on iTunes via podcast or at grillnationshow.com. It's been a great show with Steve Stava and Jared Eiler from Twisted Pair Labs. The website is twistedpairlabs.com. Um, technology experts here in Kansas City, but helping companies throughout the country um, with big data and data science and tons of other ways to help your business uh, in technology, in the technology world. Um, we're going to focus on the future in this segment um, and maybe break into a little bit of KC talk, but um, put on your, uh, your, your, take out your crystal balls here, um, Jared and Steven, and tell us really what companies and individuals should be looking for uh, and, and towards in the future uh, with regards to this, this fascinating area. Yeah, so I, I think if I were to pull out a crystal ball, um, so I'm pretty much guaranteed to be wrong here as long as nobody listens to this in a year or two. Um, <laughs> oh, they will. Yeah. They will. We'll hold you to this. This is on tape now. It's going to be on the internet. It'll be, right. it'll be here forever. So I'll put a lot of thought into this. Um, <laughs> but I think where I see things as I've done my reading and listened to many podcasts on artificial intelligence and talked to many of our customers, the general goal 
seems like it's moving towards artificial intelligence, machine learning, being moved closer and closer to the domain expert of the industry, be it marketing or healthcare or financial services. A lot of the true insights come from the people that understand the industry more so than the people um, who might understand the math behind AI and ML or artificial intelligence and machine learning. And there's actually a, a, an individual, Jeremy Howard, that I came across listening to podcasts who has a website called Fast.ai, and he's a machine learning and AI expert in the industry. And he realized that to really show deep value in a lot of the stuff he wanted to do, he had to become a domain expert. So he flipped his whole approach, and this is kind of what we're looking at now, is his approach is democratize AI and machine learning. Make it available to the domain expert. Um, let them, through a pattern and an approach, be able to find the patterns in their own data, be it x-rays or financial investment patterns or insurance, marketing, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think you can look back on a lot of technology that's happened in the past and see that same pattern in software development, website development. I mean, maybe some of us remember when somebody who built a website was called a webmaster. Mm -hmm. um, now you're just a web designer and you go out and you build it with existing tools and you don't have heavy software development to do it. Mm -hmm. And you can see that same pattern very early on forming in the world of AI and machine learning, which means a lot of data is going to be needed by a lot of people in a high-quality governed approach, which is why uh, Jared and I tend to like the idea of focusing on getting people the data. Interesting. Very interesting. Well said. Uh, you need to have your own uh, – we need to get you on all, all the podcasts in the world so you can talk about this more. Um, what's the future look like for, for your guys' business? I know you started it um, a handful of years ago and obviously have great experience um, obviously located here in Kansas City, but what, what's the future look like for you guys and, and, and how do you want to grow and scale? Yeah, I think a lot of what intrigues us, and maybe this just because we're the uh, stereotypical introvert technology type, we, we like to be the plumbing in the background that makes things go effectively, meaning... We don't think about the sewers and, and the big data often, but you guys are the ones that do it. <laughs> yeah, if you're living in the right areas, you don't have to worry about the, uh, the plumbing and everything happening, so it's a better place to be. But getting that data in, knowing that it can be tracked from a legal perspective, knowing it comes in as a high-quality set of data that can be used and making the throughput of your data scientists and your domain experts in the future a much more productive and interactive um, uh, world that they deal in instead of waiting weeks and months to get data sets that they burn through in hours or days. Mm -hmm. And so being able to supply that, even to the point where you can have the, a data platform for a corporation feed in external purchase data from other vendors directly into your platform for analysis. So you can enrich your data without having it be a whole separate project. Um, making that an efficient environment is what intrigues us and where, where we find a lot of interest in it. Mm -hmm. uh, Jared, talk to us about Kansas City um, and you guys being able to grow here. And, and Are you seeing a, a, a more of a talent level? Uh, are we getting more talent to our city in, in technology and big data and data science? And, and how does that look? Because I find that you know if we're going to continue to compete uh, with a lot of these things that we've talked about, you know, talent is very important. Well, I think I think this is one of the areas where talent is the tightest. Um, the the number of companies that are searching for data scientists and data engineers right now is is huge. And maybe I should go to this website fast.ai and start <laughs> learning, I, you know, or whatever, and 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 refund, refuel because. Uh, if you look There's at a niche, man. Yeah, yeah if you look scientists. at the number of, of postings that are out there for data scientists, it's huge, and so it, it suggests that the need is 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 also huge. And given that the the kind of knowledge you need for data scientists specifically um, is very high in you know math and algorithms and such, 
um, you know, the, the skills required, the amount of training necessary for a really good data scientist is very high. So that just means that, you know, supply is low and demand is high. So, And talk to me about having a business here in Kansas City in the Midwest. Um, what have you guys learned through that process? Obviously, you work with companies across the country. And you did mention at the beginning that you, you are a boutique firm. Uh, and you like that. Um, yeah. What's it been like uh, being based here? And and, and, and how do you kind of uh, communicate with people uh, as far as growing your own company and but staying true to your boutique? Uh, what you want after coming out of the corporate world for yeah, God knows, I, over 20 years, Steve? Yeah, it seems like forever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, from a boutique fashion, I think that's just our fancy way of saying that um, we work close with our clients, mm-hmm. which means that our ability to scale might have a gap between projects, very honestly, because we're involved in the projects and the clients and how they move forward, which means we're late to the game in a project looking for our next set of work when that happens. Mm-hmm. So boutique is a fancy way to say that um, it's a small business and we have risk because of that. But it also allows us to have the fun of being involved. And we don't end up being an HR company or we don't end up being just somebody who sits back with a spreadsheet trying to figure out how to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. We get to be involved in what's going on. You really kind of touch the, the day-to-day of these of these companies' needs. Yeah. And you actually get to do the work. You know, your senior-level folks touching this and doing this and helping these businesses. Right, Jared? Absolutely. We're, we're not looking to just spin up a team and walk away and hope that the project goes great. You know, mo- most of the time we are – as you said, we're the principals and we're involved in the project, which means, you know, our customers are getting, you know, people who've been in the business for 20 plus years, a lot of experience. So, and that's what we like about it. it allows us to learn too. Twistedpairlabs.com is your website. Guys, we have a few minutes left. Um, you know, as we, as we finish the show, um, talk to me about kind of uh, some of your best advice maybe for, for entrepreneurs or for business owners out there, uh, maybe not related to data science and, and big yeah. data or data science and big data, but as far as um, running a business and, and since you guys have obviously been in startups, you've been in corporate world, you've been in entrepreneurial space. Uh, let's talk about that briefly because I think that's uh, it's always nice to get little pieces of advice from our our experts and thought leaders when they come on the show. Yeah, I think if I were to start, it would always be whatever you think your idea is, cut it down by about tenfold. Um, literally everybody, uh, and I did this with my startup, you start solving the world's problem, you see how big it can get and you get distracted by that. And then, um, you're too fractured in how you approach it. I mean, bring it down to the smallest little niche possible where there's value and focus on that and grow from there. Mm-hmm. Don't grow too fast. Interesting. What about you, Jared? Yeah. Don't, don't try to boil the ocean. As again, I love that term because it's very, uh, you know, visual, which means I'm trying to do everything for everybody all at once. Um, you know, focus. I've, I've talked to so many entrepreneurs that are, again, trying to do way more than they could possibly do. And they just, you know, they have big ideas, but the amount of money that it would take and the, the number of, you know, uh, markets you would have to, you know, win over in order to be successful in some of these cases is, is gigantic. If you, you know, if you, if you have a product and it's, tr- you're trying to compete with five or six different, you know, in five or six different markets at once, that's incredibly challenging to try to be successful. I, I literally talked to an entrepreneur recently where that was the case and you're listening to this going you realize now you're competing with you know all of these other businesses and so just the one that you're trying to actually compete mm-hmm. against you know narrow it down dramatically focus in on on one specific thing be great at one thing yeah, we and build from there come to us and say hey i got a great idea for a mobile app and our comment is yeah but what's your business there you go that's a good one to end on steve stava and jared eiler twistedpairlabs.com check it out thanks for coming on the grill nation show um both you and, and imparting your wisdom on us today it was very thanks interesting show. great thank you thanks for listening today we'll see you again next week